welcome to the Where Does It Come From podcast. We all have so much stuff in our lives and we're starting to realise that this can cause harm to the people who make it, the planet and even ourselves. I'm Jo Salter, founder of Where Does It Come From, creating kind clothes and textiles with a tail. On this podcast, I'll chat with people who've dedicated themselves to making the world better, creating businesses, campaigning, writing books and much more. In this episode, we'll be discussing how we can all become anti-greenwashing activists. The session was recorded for Ethical Consumer Week last week and hosted by Ethical Hours' Sean Conway Wood. Myself and Georgina Wilson-Powell of Pebble Magazine were guests. Hi, um, my name is Georgina. Um, I run Pebble and uh, Pebble Magazine, which started about five years ago. So we are now one of the biggest uh, sustainable living magazines um, based in the UK. We're all online. You can find everything at pebblemag.com. And we cover everything from sort of ethical fashion right through to eco travel through to, at the moment, everything to do with sustainable Christmas and also COP. So they're the two massive issues that we're working on. Um, and also we launched a, a community platform uh, called Ripples earlier this year, which is on Mighty Networks, um, which is like Facebook, but better um, with lots of virtual chats and book clubs and lots of other fun things. Um, so if you're feeling more activisty and uh, want to start making lots of changes, you can come and find us over on there. And I'm sure we'll put all the links in, in later so um, you don't have to scrabble around for them. Um, but yeah, that's me. Thanks, Georgina, and worth giving a shout out to your book, which is behind yeah, me. And I, wrote I, a book. <laughs> I can't read it because I'm plugged in, uh, but tell us um, very briefly about your book. Uh, so yeah, I also had a book out uh, back in January, and I have I still haven't worked out a good way of putting it in, other than it sounds like really like uh, self-promoting. Um, but yeah, I wrote a book called um, Is It Really Green? Um, and it's all about everyday eco-dilemmas um, that you have at home. So perhaps you're trying to work out whether it's better to buy an electric car or buy a second-hand car or whether you have arguments about whether dishwashing is, sorry, dishwashing, dishwasher is better than washing up. Um, the book is designed to help you work out what's greener at home and to break it down so that you can start tackling um, all of the issues at home. There's a lot around insulation of heat pumps also in there. Um, so obviously that's very topical this week. Um, so yeah, you can check that out and you can also get it on Audible. Brilliant. Thanks, Georgina. And thank you so much for being here. Joe. tell us about you and your work. Hello, hello everyone. I'm Jo. I um, run Where Does It Come From? So I set up Where Does It Come From in 2013 and that was kind of in response to basically the lack of connection within the fashion industry and clothing industry. So where does it come from? It basically works with um, businesses to help them create their um, clothing and textile products but doing so in a much more sustainable way and our unique thing is that we put a code on every label and I think we were one of the first businesses to do that so that customers or end users can basically go and scan in and find out the whole story behind products so I mean basically we think we think about um clothing in terms of just buying it in a shop but if you think of all the things it was made of all the people that's had an impact on um, then that's finding out that whole story this last couple of years we've been very much more trying to persuade businesses that they should be sourcing their textiles in a much more sustainable way Um, and so we've worked with some brands like sap and new internationalists to basically providing corporate clothing and merchandise that comes with a story 
and we make our clothing by working with social enterprises all over the world um, so that we know we have positive impacts and we share those impacts with our customers. So that's what I do on the business side, but I also speak and write on the subject. And we just started a podcast up this year as well to talk to some inspiring people about things they're doing to try and change the world. Amazing. Thanks, Joan. Welcome. My name is Sean. I run Ethical Hour, which is a community for ethical and sustainable small businesses. Um, which started uh, several years ago now, really around this idea that if we all make small changes in our lives, in our shopping habits, in our businesses, um, we could have a big impact for the planet. And on that journey, um, I think so much has changed since we kind of started. um, And we've kind of obviously all started making a lot of changes kind of in the wider space as well. I'm very aware that we uh, here today on this call are probably going to be in that green echo chamber a little bit. So we were probably ahead of the curve with that. But in general, you know, big action on plastic, big action on climate. It's in the newspapers all the time now. It's in the media. Um, but really that change needs to be coming faster. So one of the things that I've been working on um, very recently is also a book called Buyer Beware, um, how to buy better, consume less and start creating real environmental change. And that really looks at greenwashing as a topic, how that is affecting um, the sustainability market and how it's kind of watering down what sustainability means, which is then preventing action. So my background's in marketing, which is where I come at the greenwashing angle from. Um, but it's really interesting because I think that the three of us have got a kind of view across different industries and I'm sure everybody in the audience has different industries that they're working in as well so I think collectively today what we can do is have a really vibrant discussion about greenwashing and how to prevent it and hopefully come up with some really practical actions that we can all take away from this to go away and be a bit of an activist I know that word has a lot of different meanings and can be quite loaded in in some ways but really just going away and taking action Um, and you know preventing greenwashing as much as we can when did you both become aware of greenwashing what was like the light bulb moment that made you think something needs to change there what happened for you joe do you want to go first yeah sure um for me it all goes back to finding out more about supply chains so when i started off um many years ago 10 15 years ago by asking the questions that i eventually named the business after of where do things come from and when you start delving down, I'm sure many of you have done it as well, you start looking at your labels and finding out where things came from and understanding about all the processes that went on behind things. Um, That was a huge educational process for me. But then when you look at some of the things that were being sold in shops, and I, I hate to brand brands but when H&M basically launched their conscious collection for me that was a bit of a moment because it was like hang on a minute how can you have a range of clothing that you're selling alongside all your mass-produced clothing and you're calling it um, sustainable or ethical or conscious was the word they use which is fairly meaningless to begin with but then you're, you're you're claiming this sustainability for your product alongside all of these other things but really only looking at one aspect of it so you're saying yay this is great fabric but you're making the clothes from the same fabrics you're basically far farming the things in the same way using the same factories and, and garment working um, groups that you were already so I suppose it just made me think well hang on there's a really big picture here and you're just concentrating on one tiny element element of it and calling it ethical and that that gave me a bit of a bad taste in my mouth to be honest yeah definitely Georgina what about you what was your kind of light bulb moment I think there were quite a few and I, I think 
sadly we've sort of tracked greenwashing across lots of different industries um very similar to joe in that fashion was one of them and i remember you know understand starting to understand how things are made um, and where sort of fast fashion was coming from but also I, I kind of came, I won't name the brands, but I came into contact with a brand that says it's you know made in Cornwall, and actually the only thing made in Cornwall about it was the label was sewn on, um, and everything else was made in a Chinese factory with no regulation and, and really bad wages. And you start to go, well, hang on, a bit like Joe, going, that doesn't. I mean, this was way before I, I started Pebble, and this was like, hang on, that doesn't seem right that you can you can say those things. Um, so it sort of started there, really, and and sort of dive, you know, starting to understand um how things were being presented versus what was actually happening and then I think as well just for me some of the bigger brands actually were sort of the things that are glaringly obvious you know things like you know you've got Coca-Cola saying that they are putting money into recycling when they're one of the biggest plastic plastic bottle polluters um you know years ago people like BP and Shell telling you they were eco-friendly um so I think you know, just the the, the big glaring ones, which are probably the lot of the same for a lot of other people. But unfortunately, I think greenwashing's kind of developed, um, and it's it's got harder to spot on one hand. And as as fast as sort of real eco innovation moves, greenwashing isn't actually far behind. So as you know, there are the pioneering people, which probably some people here in this call are starting up the SMEs that are going to take things forward in the future. And we start to use different terminology and then greenwashing is five steps behind using that same terminology to address things that aren't up to scratch. So the poor consumer who is probably, you know, everyday consumer who probably isn't aware of all this stuff, I think gets left behind a bit and gets a bit hoodwinked. And, you know, we were talking before the we let everyone in about how, how frustrated and angry greenwashing can make you. And I think the, the unfairness of it, I think, started to really drive me and, and make make me want to start understanding it more yeah I agree with that and I think even if you are very up to speed you know if you work in sustainability or you're very passionate um if you're an ethical consumer magazine subscriber or you follow this stuff in the news you know if your knowledge is a bit further ahead than the average consumer on the street it is still exhausting to try and screen every single purchase and we've again in our echo chamber a lot of us will have gone on that journey and decided we need to buy less because obviously that is the most sustainable option but you still do have to buy some things and in order to do that you then have to go through this whole big research process for every purchase and I think where I got to on this journey was that I was just sick of that responsibility always being put onto the consumer that brands can just say anything and do anything corporations exist predominantly to make a profit so they will do that in the easiest way and actually the easiest way for them probably up until now because we'll we'll get on to how the landscape is changing and the regulations that are coming and and you know things are changing for the better so it's not all doom and gloom but we're we're in the doom and gloom bit of the the show I guess but um the the bit that really got to me was just that responsibility was always on us and we don't have time to do that but then what's happening is that's really watering down what sustainability is because you have got these big brands with conscious collections you have got brands really pushing recycling coca-cola is a really good example oh, of that whenever yeah. you talk to them or a really bad example of that but whenever you talk to them about their sustainability they really push the recycling message but they have outrightly said the words we will not stop making plastic bottles because consumers want them but if you didn't make them consumers wouldn't want them what they're doing is using advertising and marketing and manipulation 
to make us want things and then they're watering down and saying you know conscious and ethical and sustainable but they're controlling what these words mean and they're and creating a very narrow view there's a real gap between what is theoretically possible which allows people to put words like recyclable and and the, my two biggest bugbears the amount of biodegradable and compostable yeah. onto packaging and onto products and then what is actually possible in our country right this minute based on where you live and I was doing some research for another talk the other day and you know you can put um like on on soft plastic you can put it can be recycled so you can call it recycled you know this these materials can be recycled and you can flag all that up there's only 16 uh places it can be recycled in the UK and it's very unlikely like this, the percentage of, of soft plastic that actually gets recycled is tiny. So it, it's not just the sort of, um, it, it's not just that waters down the sustainability. It's, it's, there's a huge difference between what is possible practically and what is possible in theory. And I think, you know, people buy products based on what they assume the best case is. And often that isn't the way. And brands know this. They're not, they're not daft, you know calling something biodegradable when actually it'll only biodegrade in an industrial composter that is 52 times the, the heat of your of your compost in your back garden you know it's it's it it does it it wastes that goodwill that people have to buy those products in the first place yeah. I was going to come I was going to say completely following on naturally from that Georgina it's all about trust isn't it because I think so many people trust the brands that they buy from and they believe that these things are true because they trust those brands. So you, you've got a good relationship with a brand from over the years. You completely think that they're doing all the right things. You completely believe when they say it's biodegradable and when it's not. And to actually question what those brands are doing is actually beyond most normal consumers because they're so inbuilt into this relationship with the brand that they must be doing the right thing. And, and if they weren't doing the right thing, then legally someone would be stopping them. And so, so talking about the words, you're saying the words that have no real legal meaning, they, they, they feel that somehow someone must be ensuring that they do have some legal meaning. So it must be all OK. Yeah, well, I think you're right. Co-opted against us almost, aren't they? They're the words that we all use in this community to mean doing something for the planet or finding some balance or, you know, not, um, you know, they're positive words. And then to have them co-opted by brands and, and who waste that trust as you trust is a really really that's the word I was reaching for it's a really good word Joe. um I think you know it's and it gets it gets harder to spot a more insidious um another like plant-based plastic yeah you know yeah. still plastic yeah but it sounds yeah, great exactly the other but ones I love are when they develop yeah Sorry, so we're all on the same wavelength so I was about to say it's the it's the areas that people feel most strongly about at a particular time so one that really gets me is um and I won't name the brand this time because that was a bit naughty last time is um British grown cocoa and that is trying to jump into this whole thing of buy British and everything and of course we can't we don't grow cocoa in the UK so it's British grown because maybe the person or the company owns that particular plantation out somewhere in the Caribbean or Africa or something it's not actually British grown but people go in there thinking excellent I'm buying British British grown chocolate which is problematic for a whole host of reasons but I think so much of this is based on assumptions like when you look at that there's so many assumptions around British as a brand again a brand and what that means you know made in Britain and like you said Georgina for clothing and things it only has to be finished here it doesn't even have to be made here you know saying British grown again there must be loopholes that they can get around saying that because it's an unregulated term 
but you don't go into the shop because you're you're just in that habit mode you're time poor you're going into the supermarket you know you've got 50 other things going on your kids probably having a tantrum you don't stop to think hang on we don't grow cocoa in this country like you just we just don't engage our brain do we we're and it is the, that's the way that branding and advertising works it speaks to us subconsciously so when they use these buzzwords it gets to us because we have assumptions about, about what those buzzwords mean and if you look at over the last couple of years the rise in veganism it's become really popular but talking about plant-based more than vegan because there are assumptions about what vegan means and then there's which is more to do with the animal welfare but because people have really jumped on it as a health trend and as a climate related issue people are choosing to use plant-based because maybe you don't go completely vegan or you just do it for part of the week or whatever so people have identified more with that phrase plant-based and now we're seeing that come into plant-based plastic and so on and so forth or you know um vegan leather plant-based leather well that's plastic so And it's, it's, it's like it, hides, it hides so many other issues. And um, we've been doing quite a lot of uh, skincare sort of content um, this year on, on Pebble, and we've, we've produced lots of guides and things. But there's, there's an assumption that vegan and cruelty-free mean the same thing. They don't. Cruelty-free can still have animal products in it. Vegan, if something's labelled vegan in the skincare world, doesn't actually have to be cruelty-free, which kind of boggles your mind. And then you've got natural, which... And natural, know, natural. Arsenic is natural, but I don't want to put that <laughs> yeah. on my face. So. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, people are, especially just go back a, a stage to your, your British Growing Cocoa thing. I think as well, you know, we're in, we do have a lot going on and we reach for certifications and we reach for logos and we want to put trust in like mark, like fair trade or organic and these marks that we see on products. And unfortunately, by some people not treating them with respect, all the other people that are working really hard for their organic certification or their fair trade status or their B Corp application or whatever it is it 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 does kind of erode that trust in consumers because it's like oh what does this actually mean is it any point and I think especially when money's an issue and it's going to be more of an issue in people's pockets if you're willing to spend more money on a product that is an enormous vote for the future that's an enormous act of faith and that you are doing you know you're you're happy that something's going to cost more for the good of the planet and if we don't respect that then you can sort of understand people that turn around and go well what's the point or what difference does it make or you know it it, it's a waste of time and I think it it does so much damage to the whole sustainability movement over and above just you know that individual product absolutely and I can see so many people in the chat saying that they're really fed up of this as well and I think just that general feeling of being fed up and how do I navigate this is you know we are probably this echo chamber here are probably some of the most proactive consumers on this stuff and we're feeling that how are the average consumers on the street feeling yeah it's very difficult dealing with businesses as well because you know especially small businesses because you've got those same kinds of buying decisions to make and the same kinds of budget issues but we find quite often if we're talking to um we spoke with a a potential customer last week and they and we explained everything that we could do to make them um, bags for a conference and you know they're all hand woven hand spun blah blah all of that and they said well actually no we've, we've had someone come back to us saying they can do the same exactly the same thing for significantly less and I was saying no it's not it's not the same you know it's, it's not the same if they're going to somebody who's got a wear fat house that's already full of 10,000 organic bags that's not the same as creating bags completely from scratch and the zero waste side of it and all of that so I think there's a whole there's a whole education thing there for businesses as well as individuals 
And there's, there's a lot, quite a lot of comments in the chat, people wanting to make their businesses greener and, and verify their supply chains and, you know, look at their carbon footprint, carbon auditing. And that's not easy either. So it's, it isn't just the, the relationship between consumers and products or consumers and brands. The relationship between all of us as business owners and our supply chains and, um, you know, everything else we're doing. And what what has been quite, I find quite upsetting in the last couple of years is there seems to be more greenwashing within the green industries that are set up to offset our emissions. <laughs> you know, there's an awful lot of variation in what people are doing and the quality and the um, the costings in, in a lot of, sort of offsetting and tree planting and other other industries that that really only exist because people want to make their businesses greener. Um, so you kind of, you know, you greenwashing doesn't have to be done just by the big, you know, evil big corporates. I think there's there's a sort of, you find levels of it everywhere unfortunately at the moment yeah and you do have accidental and then they're kind of on purpose don't you as well I think it's not completely clear so for example just as you were saying Georgina people talk about tree planting and then someone else will come back and say well actually no that's not the best way that's not what you should be doing and then people get confused because there's so many conflicting messages on, on what they should actually be focusing on it'd be good to have some leadership to say no these are the best ways these are the things that you should be doing yeah, definitely. Simon's made a really good point in the chat here. Thank you, Simon. That, for example, plastics, not in themselves bad. Um, if they're used with food packaging, they massively, the benefits in terms of reducing food waste massively outweigh the carbon footprint of the plastics. But the problem with the plastic packaging is there's no end of life solution. So it will just be around for thousands of years. So again, that's not necessarily something that just one business, one corporation is going to fix. There's a whole systemic problem here. And actually, a lot of the themes that we're already talking about, you know, around trust, around um, there being no standard definition for things, there being very little agreement in the way that things are done, you know, even measuring your carbon footprint, you could use three different carbon footprint calculators and probably get three different results because the methodology varies and there's no kind of set agreement. And actually, I think this is where things like regulation um, and legislation start to come in and we actually need that systemic change which this is the good news this is the happy part that is starting to happen isn't it so um, we're getting the new in the UK and um, we're getting new guidelines around greenwashing in advertising and things so let's talk a little bit about the systemic side of stuff and then we know kind of the lay of the land that we're working in and then what we can do is start to swap some ideas for what we as individuals can do within that system so um let's talk about what's changing what changes have you both noticed in your industries in your work um i know we've all been on talks in the last couple of weeks about these new regulations that are coming in so let's just dive into that a little bit okay so the cma are introducing guidance on the first of january have issued guidance that that becomes law on the first of january um to try and stop greenwashing and actually the guidance they're issuing is really in-depth, um, really broad, really far-reaching, and is going to have to change how every brand and service talks about their their sustainability and their their, their supply chains and their products and everything. And they've built it down to, to six points in, in the green claims code. Um, and it's basically talking about how every, every claim that you make has to be backed up with evidence. Um, and it's not just the, the kind of the final product or the final thing that you're selling. It's the, that supply chain as well. So you've got to be responsible for products up and down your supply chain, as well as the, the final product. And I think what's really interesting is they are suggesting 
that on on packaging, if you've got a product or on your website, if you've got a service, that you have to link back to all the evidence for every single claim you're making. So it's no longer um, okay to say this is a recycled product. If actually what you mean is there's only 10% of recycled material that goes into that product, you have to specify that, split it all out and and give evidence. So we're going to see a massive rise, I think, in in people not getting it right to begin with, um, design's going to have to change. The way that our websites are going to set up and product packaging is going to have to change. I think with a lot more QR codes and things like that, so you you have um, you can you can understand this. And they've also made it really clear that the language used has got to be un, you know it's got to be clear for the average consumer. So there's no sort of hiding behind you know really complicated jargon. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also the comparisons, which obviously is one of the, the big kind of sins of greenwashing. Um, if you haven't come across them before, the seven sins of greenwashing are well worth a look at to kind of really understand some of what's going on. But, um, you know, not saying things like this uh, shower gel is good for the environment because it doesn't have microbeads in when microbeads are banned. So that's irrelevant mm-hmm. because everything else on the shelf shouldn't have microbeads in anyway. So um, just to run through what the six principles are, I've shared the link uh, for everybody there. Must be truthful and accurate, must be able to live up to the claims they're making about their products, services, brands and activities. I think that's really important because that's the whole company as well. So that starts to tackle the issue, Joe, that you were saying about where they've just got one capsule collection that is ethical and sustainable because it uses 10 percent organic cotton. That's going to start tackling that. It's going to be about the whole company Um, must be clear and unambiguous and um, must not omit or hide important information. Uh, must only make fair and meaningful comparisons, must consider the full life cycle of the products. So Simon, that comes back to your point about the end of life. Um, businesses must consider the total impact of a product or service. Claims can be misleading when they don't reflect the overall impact or where they focus on one aspect, but not the other and must be substantiated. So like you were saying, Georgina, um, being able to give credible, uh, robust and up-to-date evidence. So Joe, that must be really exciting for you because obviously you kind of pioneered the QR codes and giving that traceability and that transparency. How are you feeling about this? I think it's, uh, I think it's amazing. I mean, I suppose maybe uh, one thing you asked earlier about what's happening sort of lately is there has been so many questions lately. If you think about um, when Georgina said asked Pebble and I started, where does it come from? You started Ethical Hour. We were a bit out on our own weren't we we were kind of speaking mm. probably just the three of us no there was there was quite a lot more people <laughs> there as well but so one thing that has been really exciting recently has been just a huge amount of conversations that have been going on and people coming coming into the cause and everything so this is the next stage from that isn't it actually having that actual data I'm a, I'm a very data-driven sort of person so having that all that information that's actually there I'm also curious um, as Georgina was saying about the design side because I mean I know from when we've done it that having trying to get all the information you can onto a label and then trying to get all that information even linkable onto so someone will actually enjoy reading it and not get turned off by all of the all of the detail that's one thing but I suppose my slightly more cynical side is how much teeth is this going to have what's going to start happening when people are making claims and you know how how much resource is going to be put behind this to make sure that some of this can get followed up I I guess it's a we'll wait and see on that one isn't it yeah, it's going to be such a huge shift to be able to police that. And and you're absolutely right. I know we've got Sabina on the call from, from scratch and um, she will have a lot to say, I'm sure, about uh, copywriting for change and user experience and things. But it's going to really change that whole landscape in terms of how we 
convey quite complex information to time poor consumers. Definitely. And I think we're going to have to get a lot smarter and a lot cleverer about how all that is, is conveyed. But I mean, just going back to the, the consequences of not doing it, um, you know, the Advertising Standards Authority and the CMA are making quite clear. I mean, again, it, you know, let's, let's take to the pinch of salt. We don't know how many resources they're going to throw at it. But they are looking to penalise people um, financially um, that don't that don't uh, meet these standards or that fall foul of these f- standards. So I think whatever business you're in, whatever scale your business is at, this is a time to put those sustainable claims through your own audit and make sure you can hand on heart n- know where all, everything is from and you've done all of your own due diligence um, because there's no longer going to be you know we're moving away from that sustainability sort of tag at the bottom of people's websites and you know there's a, there's a dry dusty web page that people haven't updated for 10 years you know these claims should be front and center um, because that is what's driving a lot of purchasing nowadays um, so hopefully this will this will really start to change things um sort of more holistically i think so just um, when you mentioned asa um someone was also telling me the other day that they are also bringing in guidance if you guys had this so the ASA yeah. are bringing in guidance for TV ads and oh, I see, yeah, yeah, because there's been such a rise in just complete greenwash, and I think where it gets complicated is that, and this is a bit of my concern with the new guidance, is that as consumer trends and knowledge move on, so does the greenwashing. I mean, Georgina, you spoke about this earlier, but you know, greenwashing used to be that BP rebranded as BP Beyond Petroleum and painted all of their forecourts green. And that was that. And everybody just assumed, you know, put a sunflower in their logo. It's much more sophisticated than that now because we see through that. We think, okay, that's leafy and it's brown paper and whatever. That doesn't actually mean anything. That still plays to our assumptions of what green and eco look like. But I think where my concern with this is that it is we've got to transparency is the starting point. We've got to have that data. We've got to do that reporting. But that still relies on the very time poor, overwhelmed, frazzled consumers to go and dig into that and understand that. How do we make that easier for them? I think the proactive what this is going to do, in my opinion, is it's going to change supply chains because the businesses are going to start looking at each other because they're not going to want to be working with anyone that's falling foul of this. Mm. So that will trickle down. But that's going to take time. And obviously, this is an issue that is very, very timely and needs action now. So how do we accelerate that? How do we take action on that? And as probably the, the proactive community that we are around this, how do we help accelerate that and help other people come on board i think as i think you know pebble was built on the idea of positive storytelling and that's definitely where we're staying um you know it's it's for, it's for us it's far more impactful to encourage people with sort of desirability and and stylishness and you know not not the sacrifice or the doom and gloom but i do think there's a role in social media for actually calling out brands that are, that aren't up to scratch and not in a kind of you know never coordinating trolling or anything like that but you know if you're if you're switching from one brand to another say you're switching from a high street bank to a more ethical bank because you want your pension invested not in fracking i don't think there's any harm in sort of telling that brand why you're moving um, and putting pressure on them because ultimately the bigger brands their profit margins their profit um that they share with the shareholders is, is down to us it's down to the products that we buy and the money that we spend with them so I think there is actually a space for for talking about why you're moving um, or what you're swapping to, because we all have friends and family. We all have networks. We all have work colleagues or, you know, um, 
communities that that look at what we're doing and i think now's the time to if you're you know, if, if we want to combat greenwashing, then we need to start talking about it, about what's good, what's bad, and who's doing it well, and who who isn't. I think, I think as well, a lot of a lot of um, most probably purchasing decisions are made emotionally, aren't they? We kind of fall in love with something. I mean, there are a few things you need to buy, but you might choose one thing over another based on emotion. And greenwashing really has built on marketing's psychology twist of getting people to buy it on emotion as well. So I think there's an element of going beating them at their own game I, I would like to think that we use emotion against that and just what Georgina is talking about with storytelling we're very much around the storytelling as well on in where does it come from so rather than just saying you know this much co2 less than that person's co2 that you, you kind of want to to build an image and build that emotional connection up so that people understand that they're buying something that has a in this community meant that so many more children could go to school or um, these women have now got a livelihood whereas before they were um, not able to work in their community you know that, so those kind of things building that emotional connection but I also don't think you just want it to be about what you're doing for other people I think it's got to also be for something that you're getting for yourself and I think that there's a there's a huge emotional kick out of having peace of mind being happier and then the, the healthier things as well around you know nature clean air um you know healthier living all of those kind of things so I, I would be trying to build emotional messages in yeah and I think you're you're all right about sort of the positive storytelling because the climate narrative has traditionally been very doom and gloom and you know denial and then doom and gloom but actually I think what's happening now that we've had the IPCC report and we've had that big swell in kind of mainstream interest I think there's a little bit what I've certainly felt in the sustainability community and in our echo chamber is a little bit of burnout a little bit of that fed upness a little bit of that low energy because we're kind of all feeling well we've been saying this for years now you're taking notice but the action is still not happening because obviously that takes time to filter through we do know that we know the reasons for that but there's a little bit of that kind of flat energy and I think sometimes consumers get that as well you know we've talked about it with recycling a big one with that was when we suddenly had all those news reports that it was just being shipped off to Turkey and it was being burnt and everyone goes well what's the point anyway and I think it's you know how do we stop this being just another piece of information on packaging that people don't really look at um you know I think we've seen one that we always come back to um we talk a lot about in our Twitter chats on Ethical Hour is the idea of maybe having the traffic light system like we've got for nutritional information, but for maybe carbon footprint or something. Again, problems with how do we quantify it, how do we measure it, and so on, but that you can access that information at a glance. But really, when you're bringing it back to emotion, you know, when you're feeling like you want a treat and you go and buy a bit of chocolate, you don't look at that, you know it's bad for you, but you're going to eat it anyway. So how do we combat that fatigue, that low energy, that information overwhelm, And I think you're right that it is sharing these positive stories. But what I'm kind of sensing and seeing is that a lot of people are just kind of switching off. It's almost similar to COVID in a way. You know, we've all just got to the point where it's a little bit of like, okay, we just just don't talk about it anymore. We're all we're all tired of talking about it. How do we overcome that? It's a really good point because really good point mentioning COVID because none of these things happen in isolation. Right. We're all battling all of these things all the time. So you know, you're concerned about greenwashing, you also concerned about COVID, you're tired because we've been through a pandemic. Um, you know, everyone's battling their own problems in their own lives in, in every direction. And I think coming out of the back of where we are, you know, 
the back end of 2021 is is not a particularly fun place right this minute mm-hmm. um so i think people people across the board are struggling to cope with the, with all of the changes and all of the concerns and the issues so i not saying let's go back to positive storytelling but i think there is you know making things more fun making them easy but it's also going back to that age-old debate, isn't it? Of what is respons- responsibility of the consumer to, to look at all the packaging and to understand and everything? And what is the responsibility of the brand to get it right in the first place and not try and hoodwink us? Um, because individually as consumers, we're not going around greenwashing each other. Also the responsibility of the law, I think, because, you know, it, it's consume, I think consumers feel powerless. And I think we've all felt powerless through the pandemic. You know, we, we, we've, we've had to put our trust in leadership to try and tell us what we should be doing. And I suppose there's an element of that still, you know, we've, we've, it's that, but going back to that trust thing as well. I think a lot of people feel very, very powerless, but we do need our leadership globally not just in the uk but globally to step up and say this is right and this is wrong these things things are not, not allowed i mean and, and these new standards are going to be a, a step towards that but hopefully it can go a lot further beyond that take some of the responsibility off individuals well i think as well it does it does help when we all get together behind one campaign i mean look at um walkers a few years ago everyone suddenly realized the crisp packets weren't recyclable and were posting them back to walkers so there was like a post box full of old crisp packets and things and it did make them put a recycling policy in pretty quickly i don't know how effective it's been or how widespread it's been but when you start to get lots of us acting on the same thing and shouting about it it definitely feels like there is some action being taken you can start to see the cause and effect much more clearly but i think it's knowing which direction you know, all 68 million of us in the UK head in um, when there are so many issues to be tackled at the same time. And I think this this is part of the problem more widely with, with, with climate issues and even with COP. I mean, COP's focusing a lot of people and it's gaining a lot of interest, but it's also so widespread over so many issues that it's hard to pin down on, any, you know, it's hard to pin down into one direction that everyone should be moving. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think... You know, greenwashing, I think we if we could all get behind this this new green claims code and actually start to understand it ourselves and and, and act on act on it when it's not being um done properly, it might be a bit of a rallying cry in the new year. Mm, it would be great. Yeah, I, I mean it's potentially a really good tool to empower people to ask the right questions. And I always encourage people with social media to go and ask the brands because mm-hmm. If you are asking the man, well, what do you mean by ethical? What do you mean by sustainable? What do you mean by natural? The person at the other end of that, the, the customer service person, the social media manager, the brand owner, if they're a small business, um, you know, whoever that is, they are being paid for their time to do that research. But you are not as the consumer. You're time poor. You're not getting paid to do that. It takes you a couple of minutes to tweet them and ask them. And then they need to go away and do that informa- do that information gathering and come back and report back to you. This code, if they are following it, will make that easier for them because they will have up to date web pages that they can send you that you can read and you can get into that conversation, but actually push that responsibility back to them. But I think a few people are kind of touching on the, the systemic side and, you know, the, the problems here that actually consumerism as a whole is a problem. So we should be consuming less. Absolutely. But I think when, you know, talking about COP and things like that. There's an extra layer of greenwashing that we haven't really talked about yet, which is the lobbying 
that big oil are doing. And if you look from a marketing point of view, um, there's real similarities between the tobacco industry and the kind of end of life process that they went through long and drawn out because of all their lobbying when it was suddenly, you know, everybody did cotton on to the fact that it was really bad for our health to be smoking and we, we don't want their adverts and we don't want them involved in health policy and everything else. But that was a long process. I wrote an article, I think, at the beginning of this year or the end of last year. Time is meaningless now because pandemic. But um, I wrote an article that drew those comparisons between the, the lobbying of the tobacco industry and the lobbying of big oil. And actually, they're using the same lobbyists. It's the same companies. It's the same people. It's the same tactics. And it's really, really dangerous because they are getting seats at the table at COP. They are influencing um, government decisions. They're influencing policy. And what as consumers do we do about that? How do we push back on that? And, you know, there's so many layers to this that, Joe, you said earlier, feeling powerless, it, it really can make you feel powerless. So, yeah. yeah Going back to COP, though, as you mentioned, there was, it was only in the news today or yesterday, wasn't there? The amount of lobbying that's going on behind the scenes at COP to get around that table. And you've got the, the, the sponsors, the 10 sponsors of COP, which, you know, we know that there's a, a fair amount of greenwashing going on there. There's greenwashing from our leaderships talking about all the green things that they're doing that they're basically not doing. Um, and then we've got people, nations, trying to get the UN to water down policy, water down statements about what we need for the environment. You know, Australia, I think it was Saudi Arabia, trying to basically say, no, we need to keep relying on fossil fuels when we all know that we really mustn't be doing that. Yeah, I mean, the whole... I've been getting quite cross about heat pumps to be honest this week. I mean, this could just be an hour of things I've got cross about over the last five years. Um, but, yeah, I, I think... There's a greenwashing kind of from a from a government level down gets involved when we want an easy answer and someone's very prepared to give it to us. You know, we want we want a quick fix. And genuinely, generally, the answers we're given are, are, are greenwashed because it's it's too you know it's too expensive or too complex to actually fix the problem properly. And I think the the whole COP debate is it's it's really depressing you know we've got the whole world coming together sort of being told this is the last chance to kind of avoid a catastrophic temperature rise and actually a lot of the press is having is, is tied up with you know who's lobbying what 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 kind of underhand deals are going on you know there's it, it i think it can feel a bit uh a bit much <laughs> trying to, feel, yeah. trying to find the right, yeah. right word um, can't, without swearing yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and keep it clean um so let's let's turn it around so we we thank you both we've got a really um kind of clear understanding there i think of the lay of the land um in terms of the the systemic problems the lobbying the right down to individual brands and and their behavior and the changes that are, are coming has anybody had success on issues like this writing to their mp slash political representative whatever they're called where you live What's our what's our general experience of so that? I well I, I talked about this yesterday. I I have an example that is not an eco example. Um but I actually found um so I've been I'm also in, in non-eco world caught up in the cladding scandal and um have been trying to battle on that front. And actually um I ended up asking for a meeting with my MP rather than writing them letters, which they don't, you know, sometimes they don't respond to, or often they don't respond to. Um, and even it took me a couple of goes because they sort of, you know, re, uh, I think they refuse you until you 
you know, you try a couple of times. But um, I reminded my MP that actually it's it's my constitutional duty to be able to to meet with them at some point at the, at the surgery. And actually, that was the best thing: being able to sit down with someone for twenty minutes, not be angry and go in all kind of like guns blazing, but sit down and kind of go through the issues. I felt like it had so much more impact than writing letters or, you know, emails or social tweets and everything. Um, And I think especially when it aligns with issues that are coming up. So obviously out the back of COP and the the government's just published their net zero strategy. There's going to be so much that MPs need to achieve for their localities or want to show that they're achieving and can tick off before the next election. That actually, if we sort of start booking out their diaries and starting to talk to them about all these different issues and things we want to see, I actually think it's a really good way of, of, of positive action. Yeah, I agree, Georgina. And I think, um, Joe, we've talked about this previously at, at different events, but it, I think it's really important to remember that MPs and political representatives aren't a subject expert in every single subject. So you might be really lucky that you've got somebody who is an environmental expert. Um, unfortunately, for my sins, the head of our council is an economist and is really just diehard cars are the way forward. The economy must be preserved at all costs. Um, you know I regularly tweet him donor economics and extracts from that and have offered to send him a copy and will not engage with me thinks that environmentalism is just pure socialism and to be completely looked down on and you know a bit of a a bit of a dinosaur really um, to put it politely but trying to engage him is really really difficult but knowing what his background is knowing what angle he's coming from knowing that he's looking at it through an economy lens means that with some of my expertise again I wouldn't say I'm necessarily the biggest expert on the economics of it and things but the the things that I've been reading I can then go to him with information that's going to grab his attention because he is just not going to come at it from the same angle that necessarily I will so I think sometimes it's understanding who our representatives are what their agenda is and then finding a way to cut through with that message one thing I did want to give a bit of a shout out to is the Craftivists, which I'm sure many of you are aware of. Um, they've got a really good campaign around making canaries and sending them to your MP to try and engage them in a different way in the run up to COP. So do check that out. Um, again, that's just another way of just looking at activism as something different. You know, what Sabina was touching on about slowing down, changing the pace of our lifestyle, lifestyles, changing the pace of our consumption and seeing activism as as something kind of gentle and restorative that we can do um but finding a way to engage with our representatives as human beings um you know and and breaking down that divide i think that's really important as well i think as well is they will have they will be targeted i mean they, they will be certain push buttons that are being talked about in parliament and um that they're going to be questioned on and we had to kind of hook into that to give them the information so that they can use that in a way unfortunately that makes them look good you know so they're going to want to say oh yes my constituents so and so so when you were running your campaign Sean, on female representation mm-hmm. at cop that's probably one of the very few letters that my mp actually responded to of mine because he could see that that was something that he could then do something about in parliament and look good from it so sometimes you have to think about what's driving them and and go on the in on the back of that one as well which is quite important talking of your other campaigns and craftivists i was speaking at a wi event last week and they've um crocheted i think oh millions of these little tiny green bracelets that they're asking people to send to their mps and they're called no loopholes so there's a little letter that goes with them we don't want any loopholes at cop 26 i thought that was a really good campaign Mm -hmm. so if you see one of those post that off to your mp as well 
that's a really that's lovely amazing. word like such a nice way of phrasing it yeah I think all of these things are, are just really clever ways that we can engage and and maybe people that wouldn't you know typically engage in kind of going out to protests or whatever can still get involved so I think the more we talk about it the more we kind of spread the word um is really positive and I think um I think where we are a little bit stuck in the UK it's very UK specific but obviously our next general election is not for quite a while so actually what happens between COP and the general election in terms of at the moment um they're not caring so much about what voters want in particular because they're not in an election cycle I think our big opportunity as citizens will be when that election cycle comes around but I think what we need to be doing now is organizing having these conversations discussing this and and sowing the seeds of you know we are going to hold you accountable we don't want loopholes we don't want lobbyists at the table we don't want platitudes and things we want actual action to happen um you know and hold them accountable when it comes to that time when they do care about who's showing up at the polling stations I think as well something that everybody can do and it isn't you know confrontation or anything it's just making sure you are aware of what all the difference of current greenwashing is kind of going on what COP really means what what the policies that are going to come out of it what they are what the government's net zero strategy is because it will start to give you that framework of how you can start to make different decisions and start to judge how they're doing or or how brands are greenwashing or not greenwashing and you know just sitting and spending some time giving us you know allowing ourselves that time to sit and read and research um, and go through everything calmly you know the clear head and you know start to get a grip on um, the, the detail which so often we don't want to look at and we kind of you know in our even in our heads kind of stick in a drawer and never look at um yeah. but to me even that feels like an activist thing to do because so often we're only told the headlines or you know more and more we only look at the headlines and we don't dive into detail so actually just starting to read things in a different way um feels can feel quite challenging yeah and check definitely. and check your sources as well that's the other thing there's going to be so much especially over the next few few weeks there's going to be so many bits of information being thrown at us check where it's coming from because i think one problem with reading things on social media you know you end up with loads of conflicting pieces of information and some of them are just aren't real you need to actually be going to the un site and checking the actual facts of, of what, what's coming along I was going to say, following on to that, I think it's back to that powerlessness thing as well. I think we've been taught over the last decades that we have to have ownership. We have to have control. You know, we haven't got much time. So you have to own your own car. If you want to clean your carpet, you need to own your own carpet cleaner. You know, we all have to own everything and everyone in a block of flats all has to own one. You know, it's it's that thing of can we can we step back from that control? Can we accept that we don't have to have control over everything and we can actually reach out and be part of our community or God forbid, do without it at all. I'm up for less cleaning. Yeah, that's also. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think as well, like the the people that perhaps ten years ago were flaunting their wealth and flaunting their things, and not just owning one car, owning twenty. You know, the super super wealthy, and and obviously there's still a lot of people like that. But the more forward thinking of the wealthy people, it's all about time. It's about time, it's about experiences, it's about family, it's about privacy. That is what they're now valuing. It's not ostentatious wealth. So I think this is this, I think this quite always quite an interesting sort of trickle-down effect, isn't there? You know, where where people at the sort of the one percent start going for, and it takes about 10 years to trickle down to everybody sort of wanting it. But 
we are starting to value things outside of just collecting more stuff um so i think you know there's even even at the wealthiest end where they could buy anything they want they're not they're not buying just endless crap <laughs> wealthy crap some of them are well some of them are yeah can't count for everybody space rockets <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, well, yeah experience in outer space that's the latest yeah. must have isn't it but no i do i do think um that coming back to kind of being an activist in this space it is about having these conversations and it is about actually if those are your values you know anti-consumption and slowing down and changing your lifestyle then being proud to talk about that and being able to share that and and show what that looks like because I think actually it can be really difficult to make that shift if you think back probably a lot of us on this call have have made big shifts in our lifestyle at one point or another towards being more values aligned and, and less consumptions driven I know I certainly did and it can be really hard to actually think what does that look like if you know that you want to do it but you don't know how and I think we look to our peers then for for that kind of model so I think that's why things like fast fashion is so kind of trendy and you know keeps that trend cycle going because it is that what's everybody else wearing what's everybody else doing but actually if we shift what we value and we are able to talk about that and share that I think that could be really powerful I think I think that having the conversation, I mean, I always say to people, you want to be that really annoying person at parties because we don't have that luxury of time anymore that we can think everyone's entitled to their point of view. Let's have a nice social occasion. You know, I, I've got to the point now where I'm happy to have a conversation with people and be the one that's maybe a bit irritating and sanctimonious because you're not trying to you're not trying to annoy them or anything but you want to have open the conversation up so that we're not all being polite we do we do have to talk about the situation that we're in the IPCC report and and things like that but 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 you always have to look at it from the other person's point of view and try and bring them along with you as I don't mean just go out there standing up and ranting you have to try and bring people with you I think one thing that's always important to avoid is the what aboutism because it's like they'll say oh prince william's talking about the earth shoot project and saving the planet it's okay for him because he's got a private jet everywhere he goes kind of thing but people use that kind of thing as an excuse to not do anything themselves or to just belittle the people who are doing something if someone's been brave enough to put their head above the parapet you know you want to take the positive out of that and 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 talk about it rather than putting it down so i think we can always do it in a positive way but we just have to keep the conversations going and try and bring people along I think that's a really important um narrative as well because politically that plays out if you look at the messages the government put out about our progress they're trying to position us as world leaders by using you know data that just isn't entirely accurate and they're trying to say well we're world leaders in climate so if you do write to your mp you tend to get a template-based response if you get anything you get a template-based response that says well here's all the things we're doing really well what about other countries what about china there's no point us talking about this until china does something well you know actually that's just a way of deflecting responsibility so i think we need to be aware of that not just in our day-to-day conversations and discourse but actually how that's playing out in kind of a national narrative as well Definitely, yes. it's, it's definitely something where I don't know whether it's just in Britain or whether it's an it's an international thing. We're really good at shooting people down, you know, if they have dared do one un-green thing in their life and they're now campaigning for green issues, or you know, and I think just trying to be a bit kinder 
yeah mm. too wrong. um to those people who are sticking <laughs> but there is a fine line she, she was saying sean it circles right back around to greenwashing yeah you know? um people will do one action and then try and claim their entire brand life whatever uh, has been completely perfect so i think there is actually quite a fine line between supporting people and 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 then being able to you you know whitewash what's what's going on before so i think we get scared of that and i think i know when i work with small brands on their marketing they're often very scared to talk about what they are doing because they don't want to be called out for what they're not doing and they don't want to have those awkward conversations so i think that we need to be aware of that when we're having these conversations about that we're not putting ourselves off by worrying about that well thank you so much for getting involved in today um but georgina with pebble joe where does it come from where can we get involved what would you like to tell us as kind of next steps um, i'll go quick then um because georgina is going to have loads to say obviously there's the business that i run if you're a business and you're looking at textiles but um also we have the where does it come from podcast which is on major um platforms spotify all of those there is actually one from sean on greenwashing that we did some time ago if anyone would like to listen to it more in depth about greenwashing we've also covered a number of subjects electric vehicles um, web hosting and websites uh, all sorts of different different things on there so do if you if you fancy a sit down and a listen to a discussion i must get georgina on there oh yeah love to <laughs> there we go that's a follow-up always <laughs> I haven't done a podcast for a while, actually. Um, uh, yes, yeah, sorry. You can find me um, at pebblemag.com. That's all of our content um, is all free online. And then you can su- subscribe through that to our weekly newsletter, um, which comes out on a Wednesday. And then our special co- columnist is now on a Sunday morning at eight o'clock. So you can read them in bed and get inspired. Um, hopefully you're still in bed at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning. Um, and also our Ripples community, as we talked about earlier, um, for sustainable change makers. So come and have a look at that. It's all free. Um, and I'll put all the links um, in the chat uh, for you. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Sean. No, thank you. I would very much like to give a plug to my new book, but unfortunately it is only currently available on that giant platform that we do not like to mention. Um, It is going to be available in more ethical, independent retailers when it comes out in February. Um, Probably the best way to find out about when that happens is to connect with me on social media. So Twitter is my platform of choice. Um, or to join my newsletter, which you can do from scloud.co.uk. I will put the link to it so you can see it, but please don't feel that you have to buy it on that platform because other more ethical book retailers are available and will be stuck in it. <laughs> it's really weird, isn't it, trying to promote a book, but without the main book, you don't want to promote it. <laughs> I've been in the same situation. The whole message of the book is like, Amazon are evil. Yeah. These corporations are killing the planet. Please go buy my book. So yeah. Yeah. It's a dilemma. <laughs> yeah well I can't wait to read a copy thank you you've got your new book coming out as well Georgina tell us briefly about that uh uh, yeah I have a travel book coming out next a train travel book coming out next spring (laughs) the best train routes through Europe so you're reminding me Joe at the Barcelona's in there um it was due out a year ago so obviously it's been it's been put back until we can all travel um more more um, safely again but hopefully it'll be out in March um so yeah a bit bit of a lighter read 